You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. God is active in our world, uh, although many of us don't sense that he's around and many of us might not believe or know people who don't believe that God is active in our world. The Bible says that God is active in our world, and he's active through his creative, liberating presence, which we call the Holy Spirit. Uh, We are transformed, or we become transformed, like we talk about all the time, not through things that we do, although we are called to obey, but we're principally transformed by allowing God's presence to work in our life. And when that happens, we begin to change. And so we're going to do this series that's going to look at different ways that this transforming presence of the Holy Spirit is active. Today, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit transforms our experience of suffering, which is maybe not the first thing that I would have thought about teaching about the Holy Spirit, but I feel like that's what we should talk about today. So that's what we're going to talk about, for better or for worse. So let's just jump right in because we don't have as much time today. We're going to look at this passage today. So we're going, to, we're going to be skipping around, not today, but in this series, we're going to look at different key passages that talk about the Holy Spirit, okay? This is from the, uh, the letter to the Roman church by Paul. This is one of, the, one, of the, one of the larger books in the New Testament. And uh, this is one little section. I'll try to give it a bit of context, but Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray for a moment. Father, there's there's so many things that can get in the way of us just literally understanding what the Bible talks about but then there's a whole other mess of things that can get in the way of us putting it into practice or letting it, letting it sink into our hearts and transform us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do that work for us today? As we just let go and listen, as we, as we, as we set our hearts to believe and to trust you, even if we've read this a lot before, that you would speak a new, fresh word to our heart. You would convict us. You'd give us something that we can say, I can change my mind about that. I can repent about that. Or to have something that we can say, oh, I, I, I can hope. Or I can embrace this suffering. Or I can see it differently now. And so, Holy Spirit, whatever you have in store for each of us personally, you know us better than we know ourselves. Would you do that for us today? Would you change our minds about things? Would you fill us with your presence? Would you fill us with hope? In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So here's just a little bit of context, because it, it says... Paul says, not only so. So he's talking about something else. Before this, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul is ta- says that we're justified by faith, meaning I'm made right, I'm made uh, righteous, I don't have to justify my life or my existence, I don't have to, and there's fact, there's no way I can, he says, I don't have to justify my, my uh, I can't justify myself before God, I am, as the Bible calls, a sinner, or I am, I am uh, dead apart from God. And so there's no justification. This is where Paul likes to use, justification. I can't, it's like being in a courtroom. I can't be justified before the jury. The jury's always going to find me guilty. Paul says, I'm justified by faith in Jesus. 
Okay, it's a paraphrase, but you can read it. It's right before this. Justified by faith in Jesus, and by that faith, I gain access into God's grace. Meaning, because of this faith in Jesus, it's like this picture that I now move into this different place in life where I'm within the grace of God, and I can't move out of it. So no matter what I do, for better or for worse, so this is complicated. My behavior is complicated, but my standing before God is in grace. And I stand in this grace, so, and I can't be moved because of the faith I have in Jesus. And he says, just after this, he says, and so because of that, because I, can, I have access now, not to just to God, but I actually live in his grace. I can, before I could do no right, and now I can do no wrong. And he says, and therefore now, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, the word boast is like the word rejoice. And uh, we're, gonna look at, we're gonna go through and look at some of these words today and then uh, pull out some, what does it mean for us? But what he's saying is when he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, I think uh, one way you can think about this more practically, what does that mean to do that? It's not just like a Bible verse. Is he says, because of that now, we can rejoice in the hope, hope to expect something that for sure will come because God has promised that it will. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And what that means <clears throat> is if you think back to, there's passages in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, for example, in Habakkuk, it says this, but it's a, it's a theme. I didn't write it down, but it's Habakkuk chapter 22, I think. He says, he says, the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. Okay? And for the Jewish people, this was a dream. It's not just like a, a, an overly spiritual thing. They believed that God would someday pour his glory back on the earth, his presence, and that that would be a healing presence. That would, that would make the world new. We would talk about God transforming the world, right? Another way of talking about that for, for the Jewish people was to say that the glory of God is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. When that happens, everything's going to be transformed. So what Paul's saying is, by this faith, we have access to the grace of God, not just for me only, but actually the glory of God or the grace of God, God's goodness, his presence, is going to fill the earth one day. He's referring to this dream of the, when they talk about the glory of God, they're dreaming that God is always glorious, but someday if that glory were to come and be in our midst and live among us, our world would change. That's what they believed. And so he says, so we, we, we rejoice in the hope that the glory of, of the glory of God, that God's presence is available to us and will be will be spread throughout the whole world. But then he says this, not only do we rejoice in that, but we also glory, glory boasts rejoice. You can kind of interchange these. We also glory in our sufferings. So Paul's making a big point here, and he means to kind of surprise us. We rejoice that someday God's going to make everything new again. No more suffering. But not only so, but now we also, in the same way, we rejoice in our sufferings. Suffering, the word suffering means, uh, I like this because we're going to maybe spend quite a few minutes on this little part and we'll see if we finish. I don't know what you think about when you think about suffering. You know, in the Bible, when the Bible speaks about suffering in the New Testament, the way it's really talking about it, like concretely often, is something like this. I come to you today and I tell you that God loves you so much and he loves you so much that he sent the only thing he had, his son, which is his presence to he lost something in it, to the earth that he would die for you and, and rise again for you. And that because of that, that you can have a relationship with God. God loves you. Now you're guilty, but God loves you and has corrected that guilt in putting it on Jesus. But because you don't like that I'm saying that for some reason, and so you beat me with rods till I'm almost dead. That's suffering in the Bible, okay? 
just to make clear, when Paul, Paul has suffered like that, so when Paul talks about suffering, I want, this is not the only kind of suffering we're going to talk about that, but that's the principal suffering that he understands that he's talking to people that either have suffered like that or may suffer like that. And so he's saying, we're going to rejoice when I'm beat because it's going to, something's going to happen. Now, that might not be all of our experience of suffering, and so it's good to talk about the meaning of suffering. The, the word suffering means, although it's, it can mean lots of different things, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's bad things happening to you, maybe. It's difficult circumstances. The root of the word means an internal pressure, like a pressure inside me, not just outside. An internal pressure that causes someone to feel confined without options as if there's no way to escape. I don't know if that feel, if you can feel that for a second. I know you've been in a situation where you just feel like, I feel so trapped in this. I feel like I can't get out. I mean, cancer would be a good, a good, really concrete example. But there's other things that are just internal to us because we follow Jesus that we, that we experience, and that would be called suffering, in, an internal pressure that causes me to feel confined, like I have no options, like I have no control over my life. So here's a side note, though. I think there's a big if uh, about whether... So I want you to get in your mind for a second. What is suffering to you? Because I think everybody has some kind of suffering in life. And I want you to think, what, what's the thing that comes to mind when you think? This is something that I feel like I'm suffering right now or have recently. Or if you really can't do that, someone you know. But I, I'm not sure always that our suffering is what the Bible's talking about by the word suffering. Or that we're suffering in the way that the Bible means to suffer. Because I can read this right now and say, not only so, but I, I rejoice in my suffering because I know that my suffering produces perseverance and so on. We'll talk about that. But I think we should just stop for a second. Most of us, I think, are not experiencing the type of suffering that the Bible talks about. Now, at least not the concrete way, unless you're getting beat with rods, and I don't know. And if you are, then this applies to you, and we should pray for you. But our cult- the reason it's complicated is because of this. Our culture is, is soaked in consumerism. And the church and Christian culture and Christian church culture is really often no different. It's just a reflection of the culture around it. And so what this looks like is it's that my life revolves, my experience of life revolves around me. And my Christian life revolves around me too. And God revolves around me too. And so I live like this because it's about hope, okay? I, I, there's things that I hope for. Just cut to the chase. There's things I hope for that I don't have right now. I want them, and I believe that God wants to give them to me, right or wrong. I don't know what your situation is, but, but when I don't have them or I'm waiting for them, that feels like suffering to me. Uh, it might be suffering, but there's a quote by Tim Keller that goes something like this. Tim Keller is a, a pastor and a, a writer. He says, some of the most difficult times in our lives are the times when our idols, those things that were things that might be fine, but they have taken ultimate importance in our lives, the most difficult times in our lives are those times when our idols are being challenged or God's ousting them, which feels like suffering. It's not exactly what Paul's talking about, but it can work as long as you understand what's really going on in your life. You're not suffering. We're not suffering. Like if, we're, if we think we're suffering because we just can't have what we want, God doesn't necessarily promise that. And in the passage, it ends on hope. This hope is not about the specific thing you're believing God for, okay? okay I pray that God would, would, uh, would, okay, yeah. That God would even, like, give me a job, okay? That's not a bad thing to desire. Of course not. But does God promise that you'll have a job? 
I'm not so sure because there's a large swath of the human population who has not had that prayer answered. So I want you to just think here about the difference between some of these things that you might struggle with and might be difficult and, this, and, and real suffering. There's, an, there's another reason why uh, it might feel like suffering. This is important too because what, what's going to happen is it's hard to go in order because I just want to talk about suffering the whole time. Suffering's going to produce perseverance, which I'll talk about, and perseverance is going to produce character. The word character means to be tested and shown to be genuine. Okay, character is a hard thing to have because we don't just, like, we don't take a course on character, uh, and we don't, we don't inherit character, maybe, not necessarily. We grow into it. Character comes through a process of being refined by perseverance. And so what's going to happen, though, as you go through this, is as you're refined, some things that felt like suffering to you, you're going to realize are things that you felt like suffering, but you just shouldn't have had in your life anyway. Is this making sense? I don't know. This is actually called religion. For example, if I do this, I don't know why I don't have this thing in my life, because I prayed about it this many times. I did all the right things, and I've waited well. That's called religion, actually. That's not the gospel. The religion says if I do this, this, or this, God will bless me. We, th- we're mixed in a lot. This is a very common thing in Christianity, but I just want to show you that that actually sounds more like religion than it does the gospel. The gospel says that because of what Jesus has done, God has blessed me beyond measure already. I just don't like the things he's blessed me with, okay? <laughs> or they're inner things that I think aren't concrete, you know? Here's another one, though, and this is, a, this is I, I don't want to mis- downplay maybe your experience of something that feels like suffering, though, because maybe God did tell you to wait on something, and it's difficult. Okay, that's, that's good. Or maybe that it, because you've started to follow Jesus, you've given up things that the people, people around you have not had to give up, and that feels like suffering to you, okay? That, no doubt, that that's, happens, okay? That's a ty- that could be a type of suffering, However, it really depends, and this is why it's good that Paul's going to say you should persevere, because that's going to produce character and refine your experience of suffering. Because often when we suffer like this, we end up saying things like this. I just don't even know why I started following Jesus. It's so difficult. It'd be so much easier. It'd be so much easier to just not care, to just not have to worry about that. I I do whatever I want with my money or my body or my time. But what's funny about that, too, is you're welcome to do anything you want. This is religion again. You're actually welcome. The, the, if you know the story of the two sons, the younger son and the older son, God, the, the father, it's in the, it's in the book of Luke, and the father is seen as God, and, he, and the younger son basically just wants to do his own thing. I won't tell the story. He wants to do his own thing, and the father, who's like God, says, go for it. He doesn't say, no, 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 no. You stay in the church. You, know? you stay in the house. This is what religion sounds like. He says, yeah, go for it. Do whatever you want. That's fine. I love you anyway. But you're, it's going to catch up with you. What you're doing is going to catch up with you, and you're going to face the consequences of it. But I'll be here when you, want it, when you face the consequences of it, too. The point is, is that if I follow, I can, I'm welcome to do that. The question is, do I think that that's suffering as in, like, I'm ungrateful for what God has done for me? Uh, the reason I actually think that it's understandable, because I struggle with things like that, too, it's actually silly. Because the things that I've given up to follow Jesus are really minor number one. And number two, I don't think that the other option is not that much better necessarily. I think it's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty classic case of the grass is greener on the other side. For example, I could quit right now. I could make this my last thing. <laughs> and I could go out and just do whatever I want. 
but the world, as if, and if you look at Paul's idea that there's the, there's the kingdom of God and there's the world and I live in one of them, the world doesn't promise me anything. Now, God doesn't promise me some of the things that I think he does. I don't think it's bad to believe for things. I just want you to see that if I make that my thing, I'm not going to understand Romans chapter 5, and I'm not going to suffer well. But if I say, I'm going to go out into the world, the world never promises me anything. Never promises. It's not like there's only people who are Christians who are suffering. Humanity is suffering. So I can, I can drop Jesus, and I can go out, and then I can say, forget it. Any money I was given here or to other people doing mission work around the world, I'm going to pull it, and I'm going to go travel. I've had these thoughts lots, by the way. In the, in, <laughs> In the, in not, not today, necessarily, but. <laughs> and, uh, but you know what happens? That's great. I can do that. You know what I think God would do? He'd be like, Michael, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Which, but what's funny is people do that. People live that life, obviously. Number one, I mean, I'm told that it doesn't satisfy. It's like I've never traveled anywhere, but you know what I mean. Just like giving up and doing my own thing. The thing is, though, I can go travel, and the day I get back from traveling or while I'm traveling, I can figure out, find out that I have cancer. I have like a day to live, let's say. doesn't usually happen like that, but you know what I mean. Meaning, the world doesn't promise me anything. I'm not promised a great life if I just don't follow Jesus. Suffering is going to follow me wherever I go. Some of us will experience more of it. Some of us will experience less of it or might feel like less. What God promises is not, not that we will not suffer but that he promises something in the midst of suffering that's going to transform it. Everyone's going to suffer. You're going to suffer here. You're going to suffer somewhere else, right? What is God going to do about our suffering? Paul said this, for example. This is just how we know we don't get it. Paul said, what is more, I can, this is in the letter to the Philippians, what is more, I consider everything a loss or garbage or something else because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, for whose sake, I have lost everything. I consider it all garbage. The word's actually a word that I can't say right now. It's kind of funny. I'm not allowed to say it, but it's in the Bible. That I may gain Christ. I'm not saying we, this is not you have to feel like this. This is just an example of what somebody who embraces the good news at their core thinks. I have counted the cost, and I have gratefully chosen to lose every. You shouldn't do this if you don't want to, by the way. It's not about obligation, Okay. I have gratefully lost everything because I feel inside my desires have changed and gaining Jesus is worth more than everything else. In fact, everything in my life, everything that people around me hold as, as important, this is anything. You understand? You could argue that Paul lost relationships, that Paul either had a wife before. This is reading between the lines. You might have never heard this. Either Paul used to have a wife and he lost her because he, started, he chose to follow Jesus as a Pharisee which would be grounds for divorce on her side, especially Paul's high-profile position. Or he gave up the right or the desire to be in a relationship because he thought Jesus was calling him to celibacy. He felt it. Meaning Paul has given up things that even sound, they're not bad things. He's not saying, I give up sin for the sake of following Jesus. I give up hatred of the other. Of course he gives that up. He's talking about giving up things that you don't have to give up because he sees in comparison that there's actually a, a, a gift that he's being given that surpasses any gift he can be given in life. Not to say you have to feel like that. It's just to show you that's what the gospel looks like. If you want to like, judge, how am I doing? That's what it looks like when it's active. So again, I don't know. I don't want to belittle any real suffering. I just want you to think about what am I experiencing in life right now and what is it? 
what kind of suffering is it? Is it suffering that I'm feeling that needs to be refined because actually it's just God's rooting idols out of my life? This is often my thing. He's just trying to, he's, it, what I'm feeling that, that sucks in life is that God's just pushing on things that are actually just not good. So what happens if that's the case, just to move on now quickly? What happens if that's the case? I should repent or change my mind about the things in my life that are difficult. Why, this is, why are there difficult things in my life? They're, and I'll talk about this at the end maybe, but they're difficult because, well, I'm believing God for something or I'm waiting on something that's really just like an idol to me. I talk about it in Christian language with prayer and with like, it's a good thing, believe in it. But in fact, what the scriptures tell me is that God's given me a gift beyond all gifts. So th- it should feel like maybe God's given it to me, but my hands are open. So if he doesn't take it, if he takes it, if he gives it, so what? Well, if that doesn't make sense or that's difficult, just think like this helps me. I don't know why death really helps me. I'm waiting on this thing. It's really hard to let go, but you know what? I don't even know if I'm going to live to see Wednesday. So like that really puts things in perspective. Maybe I'll open my hand a bit because God, maybe you, you have a gift that I haven't really received yet instead of just waiting on this one thing that's, number one, maybe it's not bad, but it's not enough. Let's keep going. Not only so, but we also rejoice in my suffering. So I want to see, it's not just that I accept suffering. This is difficult. It's not just like with suffering, and I know, because I don't know what you're going through or what you're going to start going through soon. We, I rejoice in my suffering. It's more than accepting it. This is difficult. Most people don't even accept suffering, you know? I would have trouble if I had some real suffering in my life right now. Because, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice in it because I know that suffering produces, the word produce means that God's actually accomplishing something. It's like he's making something, okay? God's accomplishing what? He's making perseverance. This is good because I have trouble choosing perseverance. So hopefully if I rejoice in suffering, God's just going to do it. Perseverance means that I remain under something. What happens is when we suffer is we just want to be done with it, right? I'm con- I feel like I'm confined and stuck. I felt this so many times. I felt like I'm defined and I'm stuck here. And God says, you re- rejoice in that, and that's going to produce this, this, it's really like a character trait, this staying still. Don't run away. Because I know that it makes perseverance, and then if I begin to endure or remain under, it's going to refine me. It's going to get rid of all the things. This is good. It's going to get rid of all the things that are actually just ungodly beliefs, unhealthy ideas about the world and about God and about myself and about people around me. It's going to refine those things like, like gold that's going through a refinement process. It's going, to, it's going to remove the idols from my life. An idol is just like a Bible word that means it's, it's like something that's not really, it's like the stool, like I just worship the stool. I love the stool. And the stool is for me, I mean, it's obviously ridiculous, but this is probably what it looks like to God. Uh, I have all my hope in this stool. <laughs> I'm glad you're like that. This isn't in the notes. And, uh, but I really rely on it. <laughs> I actually am not trying to make a joke. I'm trying to make a point. But, but it's something that has no power, okay? But that for some reason, like, I really count on this thing. But it, it actually is, that's ridiculous. But what's, what sounds less ridiculous is I really count on people affirming me and really needing me. And so I don't feel like people need me. Like, 
I really don't know why I exist or why I'm here, and I don't like remaining in a place where I'm not accepted or understood. So I'm just going to leave now. But God says, if, if you rejoice in that, it sounds ridiculous, rejoice in it. Because you know that that kind of suffering is going to produce the ability to remain in it. And remaining in it is like a fire, like a crucible is going to purify me. It's a different perspective. That's why the Holy Spirit doesn't remove suffering always. We'll talk about healing a different week. But he, either way, he's going to refine you. He's going to change you. Character is actually probably harder to change than healing anyway. There's lots of people who have healed, but their character looks exactly the same. And character then, so once, this is kind of odd, once my character begins to change and I stay in this thing, I begin to have hope. It's interesting. Paul doesn't say that uh, we, it's not even like we just don't choose to hope or hope just comes naturally. Hope is, it's almost like hope is this otherworldly thing that you only get to in this section through suffering. If you want to have this thing called hope, then you should rejoice in your suffering because suffering is going to produce hope. This is why this is important, is because, and this is why it matters to follow Jesus. Why is it good news? Well, if you don't have this, then suffering in our world is utterly pointless. Okay? Suffering is just what you want to get away from. Any, anything that's physical suffering or emotional suffering, or, you want to get away from it because it's, it's just, it's, um, where's the word I was going to look for? many words. <clears throat> suffering is just like madness. Death is madness. Why does it exist? It's difficult. And why does, and death is the easy one to talk about. Most of us are dealing with suffering that's way more, way less tragic. Suffering, outside of Jesus, suffering doesn't make sense at all. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to comfort somebody that's going through suffering when there's, when there's no purpose. You know, like there's no, it just sucks. Jesus doesn't promise right now to remove every suffering. You could argue from here that Paul thinks something different is going on. You know, Jesus, you, 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 you taught us. Paul says, Jesus, I met you on the road to Damascus, and you taught me, and you changed my life, and you gave me this calling. By the way, God always does that. You gave me this calling to go to the Gentiles, and you, you, you've given me your Holy Spirit, and now my life is terrible. <laughs> I was living large before, and now, like, I'm rejected everywhere I go, even by the church for Paul. But he says, ah, I get what's going on. Before, suffering was pointless. Suffering had no purpose. Now God's redeeming suffering. So he's saying, in the meantime, because there will be a day when there is no suffering, and we're kind of, like, caught in between. And what's going on is, like, it's almost like God's spirit is moving, and some people are being delivered from suffering. And, so, and everybody is remaining in suffering. Some people are freed from it in a moment. Some people will be freed when Jesus comes back and his glory fills the earth, which is going to just extinguish suffering. But he says, we're all remaining in suffering, but now my suffering has been redeemed because now suffering is, has a purpose. So when suffering comes into my life, I don't go, I don't do this. It's the enemy. I'm suffering because the enemy it's more complicated than I'm going to make it right now, but just bear with me for a second. It's, it's the enemy, or it's I did something wrong, or it's I didn't pray enough, 
I didn't do enough. This is just what religion sounds like. Call it Christianity or anything. I didn't do enough. If I do enough, I'll get free from this. Romans 5 says, when suffering comes, I rejoice in it. It doesn't also mean that God made the suffering or that God wills that I suffer or that God, that God did this. It means that God said, in the world there's suffering. I made it without it. And this is how God always works. I'm going to take something tragic that was never supposed to exist. At the end of time, I'm going to get rid of it all, and I'm in that process right now, and you're caught in between. And what's going to happen is remain in it, and I'm going to use it to transform you. It's like a, it's like a big joke on suffering. Okay? It's like he's playing a practical trick on suffering. Suffering was supposed to destroy you, everybody. But instead of destroying you, I'm going to use it to refine you. And I use it to produce this thing called hope in you. So in the midst of it, you look kind of crazy. Imagine this is, is, is the best witness to somebody who's not a Christian. The best witness. Because <clears throat> when people go through suffering, it's very difficult. And you don't have to make this up. You don't have to will it into being, okay? If this is not where you are today, you just ask the Holy Spirit to transform you. But this is what it looks like, is I'm going through suffering, and the people around me are there, my friends and stuff, and they want to comfort me, and they see in me a hope. that it's just like it, it's not, it, 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 it bypasses logic almost. Or it's just like, it's not logical to them, but it's logical to me. That in this suffering, that God is filling me with hope. Yeah, but don't you see that you're dying? Yeah, yeah, but like I'm, I'm going to die once, I'm going to live again. What are you talking about? And it's like that with everything. It's like, that, it's like I can't lose anymore. I'm standing in grace. No matter what happens, it's grace. Yeah, but suffering's bad. Yeah, for sure it's bad. Father, heal me. And if you don't heal me, you're going to heal me right over there. Like I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. It doesn't really matter. And it's the same with everything. Okay, so over here, like with my issue with like what people think about me, I'm going to rejoice in suffering because as, be as I become refined, I realize what's going on. I'm convicted. Oh, like I was never made to feel like this anyway. Holy Spirit, will you, will you transform me? Now that thing just became like a, an, another crucible, another opportunity to change because I know on the other side of caring what people think is only caring what God thinks, which is a really freeing place to be of which I've only walked in the door a couple times. So how does the Holy Spirit... Oh, we're not done, are we? That really big one. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love... This is probably the biggest one. The word shame means shame. But it, but it also... It's like this idea... It's like this idea that... Uh, it's like you said. This is really... It's kind of what it's talking about. I'm, uh, I'm believing for this. And people around you are like, that's so dumb. That's never going to happen. I'm really believing that a Ferrari is going to drop through the ceiling right now. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't even want a Ferrari, but that's what, that's what I'm believing for. But what happens is, and it's just a bad example. Everybody thinks, that's so dumb. That's never going to happen. And then it doesn't happen, let's say, right? I'm like, by 5 p.m. today, we're all going to stay here and pay a little extra. And we're going to wait for this to happen and sell it. And then, and then it... It doesn't happen and everybody goes, oh man, that's really awkward. He was believing for that and it never happened. That's shame, okay? That's like shame on me, you know? That's what it's talking about. I'm hoping for something. And he says that you can hope, but you won't be put to shame. This is another one of the like, too good to be true things. You'll never be put to shame. Another word for this that's translated as this often, which carries the idea probably even better for us, is disappointment. Read that. <clears throat> and hope does not disappoint me. I don't know that's been your experience if hope never disappointed you. I think usually it disappoints. Paul's idea is that because I go through suffering, 
Suffering is going to do this work in my life, which is going to lead me to a place of hope. And this hope can't disappoint me. Paul, it's like Paul saying, I can't be disappointed. So why? Because I think this is where, it, I, I think we can even be okay, I, like, theoretically with the other stuff. But it's really hard to hope for things. Again, though, sometimes the things we're hoping for are, are just a, a reflection of my inner consumerism. Okay? I'm not saying it's bad to believe God for things. Maybe you're convinced that God told you about something that's good, and we should support you in that. However, the things that God did say that he would give me, hope. <clears throat> well, what is this? Because God's love has been poured out into my heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to me. This is kind of the, the, the point here. I usually want things, and when I said earlier, I usually want things that God hasn't given to me. And I, 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 I ignore the things he has given to me because they sound like whatever. I don't really experience that or it's just like a word in the Bible. It's just like an idea. What he says is, I've done this miracle for you. I've given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the word holy means like other, different, okay? Somebody's holy doesn't mean they're perfect necessarily. That's, no one else is perfect, so they're perfect, they're holy. But it means that they're different and set apart from everyone else. The Holy Spirit just means it's a spirit that's different than all other spirits. God's spirit, in a good way. I've given you, I've, I've given you the Holy Spirit. It's like a gift. So he's saying, if you, if you follow Jesus, I've given you a gift that actually, if you think anything's better than that, you just don't understand what I've given you yet. I've given you my Holy Spirit, which is important on many levels, but here it says, the Holy Spirit is like this connection to the Father. I've been, we always talk, I've been disconnected from God. The world is disconnected from God, which is why it's unjust. I've been, I've been connected to God again, and through this spirit, God is like, as if it's water, is pouring his love back into my heart. He can't do it unless he gives me the spirit, and he can't give me the spirit unless Jesus dies for me. This is actually why the cross and the resurrection and all this, it's getting to this idea that we have to be given the Holy Spirit again. And I can't be given the Holy Spirit unless I'm purified unless I'm made clean and made new. Because I was made, you were made with, uh, human beings were made with the breath of God, the, the, the wind of God, the Holy Spirit, all different names, made, put inside you so that you would live with that kind of power and presence inside you. God wants to put that back in me, so Jesus does all this work for me to set me up for God giving me his spirit, which is another setup for the point, which is that God wants to pour his love back into my heart. Which, again, I get it, seems like a, huh, like, cool, but my life is hard, you know? But this is Paul's point. It's just that we don't get it. It's kind of like a message, it's like, take it or leave it, but if you got it, it would change everything. And if you don't get it, it's probably not going to make much sense. So hope does not disappoint me. Why? Because it's as if I can't be disappointed anymore. This is a struggle, okay? This is why it takes refinement. I can't be disappointed anymore because I've already been given the best thing possible. So everything else, like Paul says, pales in comparison to what I've already been given, which is, it's just that I don't experience it, that God's love, his, 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 his love is not like a good feeling only, okay? His love is, this, is his very essence, God is love. It's his very essence, his very acceptance, his total acceptance and security poured into me, and that that's what's filling me up. Last week, we talked about how we're empty and Jesus is full because he lives in the bosom of the Father. This is, this is just Paul with, with John's ideas. They just all think the same thing. They say it in different ways. God's so full and we're so empty and God's pouring his love back into my heart. So if I have that, this is, the, this is kind of the kicker. If I have that, then I can rejoice in my sufferings. 
back to the beginning. Because I know, because the love of God, I'm accepted and secure. I don't doubt God when it comes to suffering. I'm so full of his love, I can't doubt him. I don't think God creates it to harm me. And I don't think God's just not listening to me or that I'm doing it wrong. I think that God's taking the place I live, which is, which is between the times when suffering exists and God's taking suffering and redeeming it. Thank God. Thank God that I can go through suffering and it can be redeemed and not just suffer. With the love of God filling the center of our being, we are secure and can trust God. That's what it looks like. Without the love of God in our hearts, filling the center of who we are, we will be insecure. And we'll always feel disappointed when something doesn't happen. Whether God ever promised it or not, it won't really matter at that point. I'm going to just be disappointed all the time. The word heart, by the way, uh, never means your physical heart. Uh, what it means is, it's the, this is the only way, this is the definition. It's the uh, affectual center of our being. That means where your mood, your, 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 um, your emotions, your will, where these things come from. This is important. Okay? God actually wants to change your emotions. That's where they live, in your heart. To, to, the, to, the, to the writers of the Bible, the heart is the way they talk about like, the center of who you are, your, your identity warehouse. You know, like, that's the, who you are is your heart. It's not just like you got your heart in your head, okay? and there's like they're at war. Your heart is everything. That changes, and your thought process, which is also God-given, that begins to change. But it, sometimes it's hard when we just change our thought process and the heart never changed. It doesn't, it doesn't end in transformation. We get stuck. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It just means you should make sure that you get it in your heart. So God wants to pour his love back into the place where my desires come from. This is what changes everything. This is where you say, well, God, gives the, God will give me the desires of my heart. No, say something like that. Proverbs, right? Or it also says that, it also says, this one isn't Proverbs, that, uh, that I, what was I No. Uh, a hope is a word right there. A hope that is, a hope to hurt preferred makes the heart sick. This is, this is why the Bible is complicated. Because it will make your heart sick if the hope never comes to pass. Could be, though, that you're just hoping in things that are your consumeristic wish. And God's doing his best to save you from that thing. However, if I say, Father, you've given me the best gift you give me. You guys can come up, actually, because I should just end. You've given me the best gift you can give me. And, and you've filled me with your love. You know, the truth is, Father, I need to change my mind about this because that doesn't matter to me. That's not a big deal to me because I want that stuff. You see, I'm dealing with that because unless, you've, unless you're down to the real suffering, like you're really suffering with something right now, you're going to need to deal with that because when it comes to real suffering, it's just going to kill you. You couldn't ever get any of the things you wanted and then you got sick. And then what? Like that would, that would be hard. But if you, work it, if you get refined through that stuff, then you get sick and you say, Father, of course I don't want to be sick. Of course we don't. The father doesn't want a child to be sick. What if the father could say, I'm going to redeem your sickness? I'm going to make it so you're going to change through your sickness. It's going to change people around you. And if your sickness overcomes you, I'm going to raise you from the dead again. That's pretty good. So, just an ending here. <clears throat> what doesn't, what stops it from happening? What chokes the love out? If, if, if it already happened to you, if God gave, that's kind of what it sounds like, right? God gave you the Holy Spirit and filled you with his love. 
but I don't experience that. So what's choking the love out? What's causing me disappointment? Either, number one, we have ungodly expectations. We expect or we need things from God that God might have never promised, and we don't receive what he's been promising us the whole time. It's just that, that that thing comes first, what God has given me through scripture, what he's given me, what he's given me in my life and the inner things is going to make it easier to deal with the things that are kind of like unknown, you know, like did God say this to me or did he not? Did he promise me a good future? Did he not? Did he promise me financial independence or did he not? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. We don't experience it because we don't have a theology of suffering. Suffering doesn't fit in my box. My box says this. God gives me what I want because I'm his child and anything bad is from the enemy. We'll temper this another week, okay, with how the Holy Spirit heals, but this is, this is part of it. We have to have a theology. If you don't have a theology of suffering, then the other part won't work because every time it doesn't happen, it's either going to be your fault, someone else's fault, God's fault, or the enemy is just too strong. We don't have a theology of suffering, so when we suffer, we think it's one of those things. And so because we don't embrace suffering, we don't transform. And by not embracing suffering, I end up actually, I think, just choking the love of God out because I don't think the love of God in my heart can cover this stuff. So just maybe take this away. What has your experience of suffering been like? Think about that. Has it been like Paul's, which is pretty, pretty good, or has it not? Or is the suffering that you're experiencing the result of just religious behavior? You just feel like you're suffering because you can't get it. You can't have what you want, and it's not working. And, it's just, and it just ends in religious stuff. Why can't I have it? You, you can have it. You can go take it for yourself, but you're not promised anything like that. You're not promised anything in the world. And often the things that we think God has promised us, maybe he hasn't. But either way, maybe he has. Either way, if my heart is given over to God, he's going to adjust my will to match his. And lastly, what does it look like for you to rejoice in suffering? What does it look like? I mean, the hardest one is probably perseverance. We don't have, often get to character. We just run from suffering. What does it look like to rejoice in suffering and say, I'm going to remain in this thing, whatever it is. I'm going to remain in it because I want God to change me. Now, if God says, you know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't stay there. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, don't stay in a house that's burning down because you're going to get hurt. You know, you should walk out of the house now. So again, I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm just saying rejoice in suffering and give yourself to perseverance and know that perseverance is not pointless. Perseverance will end in you being changed in a way that other people can recognize too. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.